title of my sermon uh, this evening is God's Instructions on How to Be a Good Minister. God's Instructions on How to Be a Good Minister. And I'd like you to turn with me to uh, 1 Timothy, please, chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 6 to 11. 1 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 6 to 11. I'd like to draw out five principles from this passage that we're going to read. And, uh, and I'll read through these verses first, and then we'll pray. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 reads, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful, Lord, that we can gather together in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we can learn, Lord, about Him, the knowledge of Him, that we may grow in the grace of Him. And Lord, as we look into these verses, these instructions, we pray, Lord, that You would give us a heart to hear, You would move us, you would convict us, Lord, to respond. And I pray that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit, that I may speak the truth in love, that I may have clarity of thought, and that you would be honored and glorified through what is said this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the context here is that Paul is, has written a letter to Timothy instructing him. And Paul has appointed uh, Timothy as the pastor. So in that context, we can, uh, we can think that it might not be applicable unto us. But as we read and we look further into these verses, they are, they are all things that we uh, as individual uh, ch uh, children of God are to also uh, follow. And I'd like to just make that point before we start. And I said that we'll, I'd like to draw out five principles. The first principle uh, in uh, verse 6 of chapter 4 is that a good minister will preach the word. That is the first principle. A good minister will preach the word. And it says here, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. So Paul is saying here that he wants Timothy to put the brethren in remembrance of, of these things. And I'd like to just 
have a brief look about look at what these things are. So if we turn to chapter one, we look. Let's look at chapter one. I want to just give you a, a little snapshot of what Paul is referring to. In verse three, Paul writes, "As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine." See, Paul was was facing an issue where there were false teachers coming from within, teaching false doctrine. So here already, Paul is telling Timothy to warn uh, the brethren against these false teachers. We have, please have a look with me to verse 15. It says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. So here we have uh, uh, the very fact that Jesus came to save us uh, from sin. And then if we look at verse 17, it says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. And I'll explain how this relates to the Lord Jesus Christ. But here, uh, Paul is teaching on the deity of Jesus Christ, wanting, desiring Timothy to teach the same. And chapter 2, if we move on to chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. So here we have an exhortation to pray and give thanks for all men. And verse 3, it says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour. Verse 4, Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So here we have another exhortation that God, it is God's will that all men be saved. Verses, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, if we have a look, in, all, in like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array. And here we have instructions on to women on, on how they ought to behave. And then we have ver, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And Paul then goes to explain how bishops and deacons and their wives, how, how they ought to be qualified. And then if you moved on to chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So here we have that warning again, that warning against apostasy. And then lastly, in verses 3, uh, it says, Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God, hath, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. And this is how we are led to the verses now uh, that, that uh, we read earlier. So when Paul is saying, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, these are the things that he has mentioned previously. And he says, if you do them, you shall be a good minister of Jesus Christ. 
Now, it's, now it says here, a good minister is one who is nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. I'd like to just touch upon this, um, this word nourished up. When used in a, a figurative sense, um, it means to educate. And interestingly, this is only, uh, it, it only occurs once in the New Testament, in this particular verse. So there is no other uh, verse that we can turn to to see how this, uh, how this word is used. But figuratively, it means to educate. And it's referring to the fact that Timothy was educated in the words of faith. He was educated in the right doctrine. And it says, uh, following that, it says, uh, whereunto thou hast attained. The assumption is made that Paul knows that Timothy has, has been well educated, that he was brought up with uh, the education of the faith, which is uh, the scriptures in mind, and of good doctrine. And the word hast attained, it has the meaning to follow closely and to have understanding. And figuratively, it can, you can think of it as uh, following or tracing a line. It has that idea. And if you have a look with me in 2 Timothy, please, the same word is used, and I'd like to show you how else it is used. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, Paul uses the same word. He says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine. That word fully known is the same word uh, that we're referring to, uh, has attained. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, peace, uh, patience, and so forth. So it gives the idea of, of, of understanding. And in this sense, Paul is telling Timothy, I know you've been brought up with the Scriptures, with the Old Testament Scriptures, and you have not only known them, but you have followed them, you have obeyed them closely. Uh, and this is the essence of, of what, what Paul is saying when he says here, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. Uh, sorry about the pause there. I would like to uh, actually um, uh, prove that point. If you turn with me to 2 Timothy, please. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. I'll prove that point. Uh, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, sorry. Paul says to Timothy, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. See, Paul is recognizing here that, that he has been brought up uh, by his grandmother and, and his mother uh, with uh, the Scriptures. And further, in chapter 3, verse 15, please. Chapter 3, verse 15. Similarly, he says, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Timothy's understanding of the Old Testament, 
that was taught to him by his grandma and by his mother, gave him the foundation to accept the teachings of the New Testament that was taught to him by Paul. Therefore, Paul is saying that a good minister is one who has been educated in the right faith, in the right doctrine, preaches that which he has been taught and practices it as well. And we can gather those thoughts just from this single verse. And the challenge that we face when we read this and understand this is that don't we all want to be good ministers? And the word minister here, uh, the Greek word means uh, to serve. It is the definition of uh, the word servant. So it is applicable to all of us in that sense. And we all want to be good ministers of Jesus Christ. And Timothy, yes, his role was to be a pastor, and, but the ac- application, as we can see, it, it, it comes to all of us. And, and this is the checklist to see whether we are being a good minister. Are we continuously learning? Is that, is that something that's important to us? Is what we are learning correct? Is, are we rightly dividing the word of truth? And are we practicing what we preach? If not, we cannot be a good minister of Jesus Christ. If we go back to our main text, please, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7 says, But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. And the second principle I want to draw out is, a good minister will reject the world. A good minister will reject the world. Here where it says, refuse profane and old wives' fables. Refuse simply means to avoid it, to make, to make excuse, excuses not to do it, to, to reject it. That's the meaning of it. And what are we to reject? Profane and old wives' fables. Profane simply means wicked. It was often referred to as, uh, uh, had reference to the, the heathen, okay? That's how the Jews used it, um, when they used the word profane. And old wives' fables, well, we can, we're, we're probably more familiar with the word uh, old wives' tales. It's something that we're probably more familiar with. Um, and they are stories uh, to often uh, use to discourage certain behaviors, behavior in certain especially children. And, um, and sometimes it's the sharing of like folk cures for ailments, all, all things along these lines. And it originates in the oral t- tradition of storytelling. Um, and Paul here is teaching that we ought to reject it. In fact, in 2 Timothy 2.16, please. 2 Timothy 2.16. Paul adds to to this. He says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. He's saying to to shun profane and vain babblings, not just old wives' fables, but all manner of, of, of profane talking, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. So if we don't reject it, the result is that 
that it will, be, it will become more ungodly within us. And I just wanted to give you some examples of, of old wives' tales to just remind you um, that this teaching is, is more, more relevant to us than we may think. Because when we hear these things, it's things that we've heard when we were chil- children, and um, it's things that, that, that um, we even hear still today. Some things like drinking coffee as a child stunts your growth. Apparently that's not true. Plucking grey hairs will make more grey hairs come out. Apparently that's not true. Shaving uh, makes hair grow back thicker. That's definitely not true. (laughs) I remember in high school when I heard this, I would shave every day because I wanted to look more manly like some of the other manlier looking people in in my school. Every day. But no, you can still tell it's not worked. <laughs> Eating carrots will give you better eyesight. W- walking under a ladder is bad luck. You know, th- these, these are like just examples. But we laugh because we, we know we've been told these things. We hear them and they still people say them and still people believe them. And these are based on the traditions of men. And what's What's dark about these things is that it's often have to do with gods, small g gods, and the things of of that realm, Uh, angelic beings and doctrines of demons. Often a lot of these things come from that, not necessarily all of them, but many of them, uh, which, as I mentioned, which even to this day, many people still live by. And Paul is simply saying, reject this, completely reject it, avoid it, Make every excuse not to conform to it and and don't expend any of your time, any of your energy to these things and teach that on to the brethren. Teach them to do the same. Instead, verse 6, if we go back uh, to chapter 4, verse uh, verse 7, sorry. Instead, it says, exercise thyself rather onto godliness. And... I want to just point out the word refuse here and the word exercise. There is a commonality between these words. And the commonality is that it's in the Greek it is written in what's called the imperative mood. It means that it is a command. Paul is commanding uh, Timothy when he says, refuse profane and old wise fables. He's commanding him when he says, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. And the command means that we have a choice. We have a choice uh, whether we will do it or whether we will reject it. And, you know, it's, it's often said among our circles, if you're not moving forward in the Lord, then, then you're moving backwards. And, and neglect is more often the same as disobedience. And that is, that, that is the case for here. For if we neglect these things, we are disobeying the command of God. So the question is then, then how do we exercise? How are we meant to exercise ourselves? What does that even mean? And the word exercise, it comes from the word gumnadzo. Uh, and I say, I, I pronounce it in the Greek because it is similar to an English word that it's named after, which is gymnasium. It comes from the root word gumnos, meaning naked. And therefore this word, it means to practice naked. It's referring to how uh, it's referring to the Greek games in times 
uh, in the times of Paul. And figuratively, which we apply in this case, it means to train or to, to discipline. So it's saying, discipline yourself rather onto godliness. And I just want to give you an example. You know, for those who have, have seen me throughout the years uh, would know that uh, my weight has fluctuated uh, up and down throughout the years. And if there's anything consistent about, about myself is that the fact that I've been consistently yo-yoing up and down. <laughs> but I remember, uh, uh, for the sake of this example, uh, for this uh, point, I remember uh, one day committing myself, telling myself, okay, from this day I'm going to um, exercise my body that, that I can be healthier. And I recall that I used to run around... Uh, there's like a run you can do around my area. It's about a four-kilometer run. And when I used to do this often, a long time ago, it would take me something along the lines of 20 minutes. And I thought to myself, this is what I'll do. Tomorrow, I'll go for a run. Okay? That's what, that's what I'll do. And, and, and that's what I did. I walked outside and thinking that, you know, I'll, it, it, it'll be a slog, but, but, but I'll do the four kilometers. I don't think I ran more than 200 kilometers, uh, 200 meters, sorry, before I gassed out. I literally just ran down the road and I gave up and I came back home. <laughs> and the, the point, the reason why I give that, that example is because I had no idea the state in which I was in, thinking that I, was, uh, uh, that I could run four kilometers. And that's just not how it works. And that's why... Paul uses this example, this example of, of being an athlete, because you can't become an athlete overnight. There are steps involved, often small incremental steps involved in order to become that athlete. And that's the exact same re reason why Paul uses this example. Uh, of, and, and, and everyone, they would know this word, gumnadzo, Everyone in this context would have known this word. And if we, if we read many of Paul's uh, teachings, we also know that he, many of the times he uses these examples, of, of sports examples, uh, like running and, and boxing and wrestling. And the point is that, that you can't just jump, we can't just jump into exercising ourselves onto godliness thinking that we can become godly overnight. It requires small steps. And ultimately, this is a commandment of God. And that's what we must remember. This is a commandment of God. If we are the children of God and we love Christ, Christ says that if you love me, you will do my commandments. And this is a very example in which we, we, are, to, we are commanded to do this to exercise ourselves rather onto godliness. And we should take care to obey this command. The next verse is verse 8. Please follow along with me. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. For bodily exercise profiteth little. But godliness is profitable unto all things. Uh, the next principle here is 
A good minister will practice the word. A good minister will practice the word. What is being referred to here as bodily exercise, a profiting little, in the general sense, we can deduce that Paul is referring to uh, uh, the, the Greek games, as we mentioned. He's referring to the exercise of the, the physical body. But um, reading some commentaries, they also mention um, the Gnostics. They believed that the body was the source of evil. And what they would do, that they would uh, deny themselves, even mortifying their bodies in the pursuit of, of holiness. And um, commentators mention that this could also be the case. And what's interesting is that uh, just we, we even read that one of those, some of those things of keeping of the body under is mentioned here. It says forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. So it can be used in both sense. Uh, uh, it can be referring to both sense. But the point is this, Paul is saying that what, whatever the case may be, it's very little profit um, because it is temporary. The, profit is, is the profitability of this is temporary. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't at all take care of our body, for the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and it is to be used for the glory of God. And I would, I would like to turn... Uh, have you all turn to that those verses? First Corinthians, please. First Corinthians, chapter six. It is a very good reminder, and there's just no other way. I, c I cannot say it any better. So let us read First uh, Corinthians, chapter six, verse nineteen and twenty. Once again, Paul says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are brought, bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we make the point again, the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and it's to be used for the glory of God. We should take care of the bodies uh, that, that is now owned by God. In, in comparison, to exercise oneself onto godliness, in comparison, is profitable onto all things. And that is in reference to not only profitable in this life, but also in the, the next life, the eternal life. The body, the soul, the spirit, the mind ourselves, others, all things on this earth and all things profitable unto uh, the next life as well. And when he says here in, in, uh, in verse 8, it says, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Having promise of the life that now is, is referring to the fact that the promises that God, it's, it's referring to the fact that God promises to provide our needs in this life. Um, you, won't, you don't have to turn there, but in Philippians 4.19, it says, But my God shall supply all your need 
according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Just one prom- another promise that, that God will, will supply our need. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 to 33, Jesus says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or uh, wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You see, there, there are promises made that, that, that God says he will take care of us in this life. And that is what is, it's in reference to, the promises of a life that, that now is, okay, and of that which is to come. So it's the promises of the, the eternal life and the rewards associated with that eternal life. And if, if godliness is profitable unto all things, then every, every effort that we make towards it uh, will be a productive one. And that ought to be an encouragement to us to strive to do that, to, to obey that command, to exercise ourselves, uh, even if it is uh, small increments every day. Uh, verse 9 of chapter 4. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Simply it's saying, a faithful saying is one that is true. Paul is saying this is true. What I say is, abs- is absolute truth. And because it is true, it is worthy to be accepted. That's what it means, the worthy of all acceptation. That's what it simply means. Verse 10. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. And uh, the next principle here is, a good minister will trust the word. A good minister will trust the word. The exercise of spiritual godliness is obviously not easy. Paul here says it will require both labor and suffering reproach. Labor uh, means work here. It's going to require you to to get up from your seat. It's going to require effort. It's going to be hard work. It's going to make you sweat and even cause pain. Think of Jesus as he endured hardship affliction, stripes, weariness, pain, hunger, and, and thirst, and so forth, and so forth. And when it says suffering reproach, there may be a, a, um, a better way is to, is to think about uh, how Jesus suffered reproach in trying to figure out what this means. Think of Jesus. They, they railed at him. They chided him. They taunted him. They mocked him. They reviled him. This is the meaning behind reproach. And it's saying that, that we, when we exercise ourselves unto godliness, when we do uh, the work, the com- do the commandments of God, we will also have to labor and we will also suffer reproach. Paul was, was reminding Timothy that the reason that they could labor and suffer reproach was this. He's giving, them the, he's giving them a reason. And it says in verse 10, because we trust in the living God. Because we trust in the living God. And this God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. He is the Savior of all men. So, Paul 
trusted in the living God who is the saviour of all men. And the living God here is in reference to uh, the saviour of all men. And I just want to take you through some verses. If you have a look with me um, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 3, please. Chapter 2, uh, we're going to look at 3 and 4, sorry. Chapter 3 and 4. And I'm, I'm, going, to try, I'm going to show you that Paul is, is making the point that Jesus Christ is God. He's, he's making the point of that Christ, the deity of Christ. And verse 3 here says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. So God is the Savior here, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then uh, that's verses 3 and 4. So God is our Savior and desires for everyone to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. It says God was manifest in the flesh. But this cannot be a description of God, for it is a, a direct description of our Lord Jesus Christ. The only description that this fits is Jesus Christ. Therefore, Paul is blatantly saying that, uh, confirming the deity of Jesus Christ. Paul describes God as the Savior. He describes the Savior as Jesus Christ, and therefore Jesus Christ is God. To add, it says here, when we go back to our, our verse, please, verse 10. Because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men. To add, salvation came to them through uh, faith in Jesus Christ. And in turn, this belief in the gospel it, it and, and this hope that they had in eternal life, it compelled them to labor, to labor to make it known to the whole world the gospel. They wanted to give that gift that they received to the whole world, even though it was meant, met with reproach. And this is the power that faith has in the child of God. This is the power that trust in God has. And it says here, especially of those that believe. That's the end of the verse, end of that verse here, especially of those that believe. Without this last statement, um, a reader could misinterpret Paul into thinking that, that he's teaching that, that God and our Savior Jesus Christ would, say, would save all men. But he makes this distinction. He's, he makes a distinction, especially of those that believe. Salvation has indeed been provided for all men, as we, we have read that the will, it is the will of God that all men be saved. But since God wills that all men, uh, but it is limited to those who believe. That's why it says, especially of those that believe. Trust or faith is absolutely necessary when it comes to the work of the Lord, whether in salvation or sanctification or in service. Paul spoke the truth in love to Timothy. He spoke the truth in love. He told, he wasn't afraid to tell Timothy, it's going to be hard work. You know what? People are going to revile you. You're going to be reproached. Paul didn't hide that to Timothy. He told him straight out that that's going to require hard work, and if you succeed, you're going to get reproach. You know, God is, 
is we know that, that from, from these verses that God is trying to fulfill His will to save all men. He provided uh, a way of salvation through Jesus Christ. And He's chosen those who believe in Him uh, to, to fulfill His will and that we, it is His will for, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. But God doesn't ask us to do this work without giving us the means to do it. And we cannot do this work, we can only do this work because of the hope of, that we have in eternal life. That's the only way. If we, because, because that gives us the confidence that no matter, doesn't matter what happens here, I have eternal life. And the hope that God is going to reward me for the work that I am doing. It's something that I can look forward to. This, is, this overrides the fear uh, that we have to, to, uh, to preach the gospel, to, to, to preach the word of God, even though it's going to be hard, even though there, there will be reproaches. So how true is it when it says that without faith it's, in, that it's impossible, it, um, that, that, that only with faith it is possible to move mountains? And that it is, is impossible without faith uh, to please Him. How true are these things then? But with faith, all things are possible. And we're, we're faced with the challenge here. You know, Don't we want to fulfill the will of God in our life? You know, it's hard, yes. But we also have the promises to encourage us to do it. We have that, that enables us to endure that hardship, to go through that suffering reproach because we trust in the living God. That's what Paul is saying. And lastly here, verse 11, these things command and teach. Quite simply, a good minister will command and teach the Word. It's not enough just to preach it, but Paul wants, wants, wants Timothy to, uh, to teach it also, to help to give the sense, to help them, the brethren to understand and then to, to command them to do the same. So the last, uh, the last principle there is a good minister will command and teach the word. 